Ask yourself this question. Why do I believe what I believe? Are you really scared of something or is it because you're making up the story in your own mind? Welcome to Playmakers. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, 15-year NFL and NBA business exec, widely known as the 49ers Y coach. Now, your coach. Join me on this journey from why to purpose to impact. The key to it all, taking action. Prepare to get tactical as our guests share their daily playbook where purpose no longer has to be a distant North Star. It can become a 365 way of life. Let's go. Playmakers, it's about that time to welcome Gary Ridge into the conversation. As chairman and chief executive officer of WD40, Gary is passionate about the learning and empowering organizational culture that he has helped establish, earning global recognition, and accolades. Gary also serves as an adjunct professor at the University of San Diego, where he teaches the principles and practices of corporate culture in the Master of Science in Executive Leadership Program. In 2009, Gary co-authored a book with Ken Blanchard, infamous author of The One Minute Manager, outlining their effective leadership techniques titled Helping People Win at Work, a business philosophy called Don't Mark My Paper, Help me get an A. Because in Gary's eyes, life is not a success and failure game. It's a success and learning game. Buckle up as we welcome Gary Ridge into the Playmakers podcast. Gary, welcome to Playmakers. How are we doing? Yeah, g'day, Paul. I'm great. Thank you. Delighted to be with you. Delighted on our end as well. And it's been just a few months since we had the chance to spend some quality time at the University of Notre Dame amazing Purpose Summit hosted by Purpose Point. So I, I knew from just hearing one another talk and the bear hugs after that we were kindred spirits. So it's amazing to be sharing this space. And as much as I could go into your introduction, you probably don't need one for a lot of playmakers. They know the bio. They've already heard it. But you have a pretty unique way <laughs> of introducing <laughs> yourself. So why don't you just start there? Yeah, okay. G'day, I'm Gary Ridge. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD-40 Company. Oh, it's so good, my friend. And look, what I hear from that, and I chuckle every time, whether it's in person or I hear you on another podcast or here, we're literally, um, you know, in the same space. I hear humility. I hear vulnerability. I hear authenticity. So my question to you is, and I'm also going to say this, I've, I've heard you say that the three most powerful words we can use, especially as a CEO, are I don't know, which again, lead me to the places of humility, vulnerability, authenticity. Were those traits you were born with? Did they develop over time? Would love to just know how you landed on these three amazing traits, because it's very obvious. Yeah, thanks, Paul. You know, I, I'm not sure I was born with them. I'm not, I, I guess we are influenced by our journey along the way. And I think a lot of it became clear to me uh, back in 1997 when I was given the honor to lead WD-40 as the CEO. And I'd been with the company for 10 years. I transferred to the United States in 1994. And back then we were a US-based organization that had great ambition to take the blue and yellow can with a little red top to the world. And when I was given that opportunity, I wasn't afraid, but I was scared. I was scared that I didn't know 
what I needed to know to be able to lead an organization into the future. And interestingly enough, I was on an airplane flying from Sydney to Los Angeles, somewhere deep over the Pacific Ocean. And I read a quote of the Dalai Lama and it said, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If you can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And what I saw around me was a lot of leaders hurting people and not sending them home happy. And I didn't think that was fair. So I I looked around and I, I went back to school. Pretty soon after I became CEO, I went to the University of San Diego and I did a master's degree in leadership. And that's where I met my mentor, the author of The One Minute Manager, Dr. Ken Blanchard. He was my professor. And Ken introduced me to some of the aspects of servant leadership. And as, as I was learning more about that, I realized that I went back to school to confirm what I thought I believed and to learn what I didn't. And what he was proving to me was I, di- I really confirmed what I thought I believed, which is you know, we don't have to all have all the answers. We just have to be, you know, authentic in, in our heart, um, you know, be, be tough-minded but tender-hearted, heart of gold, backbone of steel, treat people, you know, with respect and dignity and help them do their best. And I think that's where, where they came about. And then as I went through my learning journey, my leadership journey, that just became clearer and clearer and clearer. Ah, oh, so good. So now I want to connect what you just said, and especially how you kicked that response off, which I love. I'll tell you why in a bit here. But if I am a playmaker listening in, and let's say, and I, I, I don't want to misquote you, did you say, I wasn't afraid, but I was scared? Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. So let's assume that there is somebody listening in here right now that is scared. They're scared about something. They're scared about a looming recession. They're scared about the uncertainty in the world. They're scared about being so divided, whatever it is, maybe a bad relationship, I don't know, but they're scared. Would you have any advice or perspective for a person that is scared on how they can dig their way and persevere uh, above and beyond that current feeling that they have? Yeah, number one, I think I would fill in the dots, and I'll give you the what I mean by that. I could, I don't necessarily like scary movies, right? But I can be watching a scary movie, but I'm not necessarily afraid of the players because I know whatever's happening in the screen is going to jump through the screen and attack me. So, but what that tells me is sometimes we're scared because we don't really understand the play that's going on. So, my first advice is. Ask yourself this question. Why do I believe what I believe? Are you really scared of something or is it because you're making up the story in your own mind? And a little bit of that was in my life early on when I was going through my leadership training in that, uh, you know, it was because I thought what I was going to be scared of. I thought, well, it's because I don't understand it. So my number one lesson is, why do you believe what you believe? Question yourself. You know, and I think that would be the first step I would take. Ah, so good. And in your case, like you said, then it's about information. I always say, Gary, that the three things we can pick up every single day, regardless of socioeconomic background, geography, you name it, we could pick up experience, information, and relationships. And so in your case, you've tapped into a lot of that. You picked up experience along the way, which boosted that that confidence, et cetera. Information, whether in school or the hard knocks of life and then the relationships will come back to the people side. Cause that's where we're going to hang out for a bit. Speaking of people. So you talked about a couple different types of CEOs. And when I saw you 
in Notre Dame at the Purpose Summit. Your chest pocket, the front pocket of your suit was bulging, but it was only one. It was only one. It wasn't all the the chest press that you're doing. I am not going to credit the workouts. I'm going to say there was a character in your pocket, which I'd like for you to describe that to all playmakers, because I, oh. I just think they'll get a crack out of it. Now you've 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 awakened him, haven't you? He, he's, <laughs> I have, my friend. He, yes. he's, look, you woke him up. Now, he's he's undesirable in many ways. This is Al. Al is the soul-sucking CEO, or you could say the soul-sucking leader, if you will. And it could be Alice as well. Um, But he has leadership behaviors that create toxins that, when fed into the Petri dish of culture, destroy the culture. For example, you know, Al believes micromanagement is essential. Al is corporate royalty, Paul. He has climbed up the corporate ladder over time. So someone, you must bow down to Al and respect the fact that he's done a fair bit of kissing of something to get where he is. <laughs> Al, has, Al has the largest office in the building, probably a private parking spot. Al does not believe in mixing with the people in the canteen. Al must have his food brought to his office. Al hates feedback. Don't, he must always be right. Don't he loves a fear-based culture? Oh, does Al like that? And the worst part about Al, his ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. And all of these ingredients, as they drop into the petri dish of culture in an organization, are turning it into a toxic cesspool. Al is not the one you want. Now we all know Al. And when I speak at conferences, as you know, people come up to me later and say, can I have an Al doll? I say, why? I said, I, I know an Al. I want to put it on his desk. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Now, all right. At the time we're having this conversation, and, and here's my perspective about what the world calls the great resignation. We're going to get in a moment to what you call it. My perspective is that Things that were before the pandemic, from a culture perspective, they just got exposed. It was accelerated. In other words, if you were a bad leader before with bad behaviors, you were exposed and it led to something called the great resignation. Oh, we're bleeding talent. I wonder why. It would have gotten there, maybe at a slower clip, maybe it would have been a little bit of a slower drip, but it accelerated versus I've seen a lot of good to great examples of if you were doing the right things before, it was still a challenging couple of years, but it wasn't a death blow. And it was because of how you were showing up in the blue skies and that's how people respond during the storm. So why don't you guide us through, in your case, is it the owls of the world, the way you just described, it could be him or Alice being her. Is it the owls that fed into the great resignation becoming the great escape, as you call it? I think, firstly, I totally agree with you. You know, Al has been around for a long time. Just look at employee engagement measurements back n number of years. And we've been talking about it forever. You know, imagine, you know, Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, said pleasure in the work puts perfection in the job. Duh. So why are people not enjoying their work? Now, so Al was there. But what happened in the time of... COVID, you know, people would go to work and about in the United States, about a third of the people were engaged 
and about two-thirds of people were disengaged. And of those two-thirds, probably 20% were, you know, absolutely devastatedly disengaged. But they went home and, you know, home was kind of okay for most people. Life went on. And then COVID hit and work got worse in the peak of the uh, of, of, of COVID in the uncertain period of time. There's research that shows that employee engagement went down to 16%. So, you know, 84% of people were disengaged and they went home and life wasn't good. It was full of uncertainty. And they said, you know what? I've had enough. Something's got to give. Now, unfortunately, at home, some relationships broke down. But in a lot of cases, they said, I am going to escape from this toxic culture because life's not worth it. So I, I'm hopeful that leaders got a slap up the side of the head. And, and they said, would you please wake up to the fact that our job as leaders is to create a place where people go to work every day, they make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they learn something new, they're protected and set free by a compelling set of values, and they go home happy. Why? Because happy people build happy families, happy families build happy communities, happy communities build a happy world, and we need a happy world. The world is not happy right now. The world is messy right now. And business has the biggest opportunity to be the force for good because we touch more people every day than most. So it, this really, the COVID period really you know, put, the, put the magnifying glass on this. And that's why people made decisions. Mm. And so again, in your words, you tabbed it as instead of the great resignation, it became the great escape. So imagine there's a playmaker listening in right now. And let's say that they've been patient. They've tried to be that positive light, that's that ray of sunshine, if you will, in what now it's obvious, it's evident. I am in a toxic culture. I got to get out of here. I did everything in my control to try to be a positive influence and they've hit the brink. So they want to escape. My question to you is, where do I escape to? What should I be looking for? Like, how would you advise somebody that has made the intentional decision to escape? What are the signs and cues of their next organization where they can find that happier, better, more fulfilling place? Okay, number one, does the leadership openly admit that people matter? Is, do they, can you feel that? Is this a place where pe people really matter? Look at past behaviors. Um, you, you know, if you get the opportunity and you're looking to go and change someone else, actually visit the place and see how many people smile. In fact, if I was, if I was making an acquisition of a company right now, I would sit in the parking lot in the morning and, and observe the behavior of people coming to work every day. And I'd sit in the parking lot and observe the, the behavior of people leaving every night. Did they come in enthusiastic and happy and high-fiving? And did they leave with a smile on their face, knowing they'd been fulfilled? So number one. Number two, is there a clearly defined purpose in the organization that actually attracts you? Remember, you want to make a contribution to something bigger than yourself. So is the purpose meaningful? Is this something that, that you're willing to give that little extra to? Number three, is there a set of values that are clearly defined that not only protect you as a person, but set you free to be able to make decisions and to be able to make a contribution? Number four, is there a atmosphere of not failure, but learning? Now, we took the word failure out of our vocabulary many years ago. 
what we talk about now is we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments because failure and fear is one of the greatest disablers we have in emotion. So we changed it. We'll call it a learning moment. What's a learning moment? A positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared with all people. And then finally, and you'll love this because this comes right from where you are, is there a command and control atmosphere or is there a coaching atmosphere? And let's think about great coaches, and you know this better than I do. What's the, what are the attributes of great coaches? Number one, great coaches do not run onto the playing field. Great coaches do not run in and pick up the ball. Great coaches do not go to the podium. They spend a lot of time on the sideline observing the play, and they spend a lot of time in the locker room building trust and relationships. So, and they're, what they're doing is helping identify the play so the person that they're coaching can win. The coach is not there to win. The coach is there to help people win. So those are the things that I would dig into in the organization to see if they exist. Hi, Playmakers. It's about that time to discover your why. It only takes five minutes. And on the other side, you will better understand who you are, how you think, and why you do what you do. Here's how you get the assessment. Text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, open up a text and send the word why to 310-564-7857. For coaching after, DM me. For now, let's get back to the show. That's so good. So just to repeat, and I'll be very quick hitting with this, but if you were listening in and if you're headed toward an escape, and I would assume, I mean, we put more of a professional context to this, but even personally, but you're looking for the behaviors. Are people, when they go into the office, out of the office, are they high-fiving, bear-hugging, all that good stuff? Number two, purpose. Does it mean something to you? Does it feel like something bigger than yourself that you feel deeply matters? Three, values. And not only values being words on a wall, do they get down to a behavioral and an action-oriented level? Number four is replace Failure with learning, as Gary called them learning moments, which I love, Gary, because I always say I used to have successes and failures. Now I just have successes or learnings. That's it. Like that's the fork in the road. So we therefore are more prone to take risk, are more prone to innovate and all of these wonderful things. We show up with more courage. Yes. And last but not least, from command and control to a coaching environment. So for playmakers, think of the greatest coach that you've ever had in your life versus now think of the worst coach and think of how they showed up in very different ways. Gary would argue the first truly was a coach. The second was a manager and there's a drastic difference to that. Speaking of coaches for you, I know you mentioned the likes of Ken Blanchard and coaches, mentors, just people that have meant the world to you. Another Gentlemen that uh, we all hold in very high regard is Marshall Goldsmith. And that's where I want to take us next. So author of What Got You Here, Won't Get You There. And he basically talks about, uh, I'll let you expand on the 20 bad habits. But he has a go-to question that I've heard you share in other conversations. And I'd love for you to share what that question is with our playmakers. And perhaps if you're open to it, how you would answer that question for yourself. Well, thank you. Yeah, Marshall Goldsmith, his new book is out now, The Earned Life. 
fantastic read if you haven't seen it. Page 168, he gives me a mention. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. And that's The Earned Life? The Earned Life. Uh, yeah, it's his latest book. It's a New York Times bestseller. Um, so, yeah, you know, let me give you the background to this a little bit. You know, we are just simple human beings bumbling our way down this pathway of life, right? Bumping into stuff. And unfortunately, as leaders in the bushes are these thieves that want to come out and grab us and and take us into the bushes. And they're the thieves of short-sightedness, greed, anger, micromanagement, all of these things. So our job as leaders, because we get pushed around on this, this path, is to try and center ourselves. So the, the question I ask myself, and I have a little post-it note right here on my computer right now, and it is, am I being the person I want to be right now? And then I say, so am I being the person I want to be right now? And in some coaching that, I, that Marshall did with me, I, 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 I said, that's great, but who is that person? So then I forced myself to say, who is that person? And my list says, I want to, number one, be grateful. I want to be caring. I want to be empathetic. I want to be reasonable. I want to be a listener. I want to be fact-based. I want to have a balanced opinion. I want to be curious. I want to be a learner. And I want to throw sunshine, not a shadow. And that is in front of me every day. It's not only on my computer screen, but I have a little notebook that I've got it stuck on the front of. And I have to keep reminding myself of who I want to be, because when I'm that person, I'm the best person for myself and those that I try to coach and lead. But when I'm not that person, I'm not a very good person. And I want to be there. Mm, mm. Sounds like, well, for one, amazing values and standards to hold yourself to. And two, Correct me if I'm wrong. This sounds like an exercise of awareness. Yes. You're, you're, you're aware. You're aware of when you show up as that person. And you're also aware of, hey, we're all human. We're very imperfect, as you say. Um, you're aware of when you don't and you just solve for the gap. Absolutely. And I'm not sure whether with the podcast people can see us or not. But if they can on the podcast, you'll see that I am very inadequate because behind me, is a big old post-it note with lots of post-it notes on that I have to turn and read through often to say, these are the things that are important to me, send to yourself, because I'm consciously incompetent and probably wrong and roughly right, and I gotta keep reminding myself. It's awareness. Mm. And for those, that, for those that are just listening, uh, not seeing this on video, so I'm looking at it, and just from my view, let's call it there's 20 to 30 Post-its on a grander post-it. Gary, just curious, because I, I, I never heard the context behind what those were. So uh, can you share a, a couple of them with us? And also my, my second question to that is, uh, do they change over time or have they been the same post-its up there for years? No, they change. Some of some are, uh, have been there for a long time, but here's one that's up there. When I'm thinking about a decision I ma I've made, to, here's what I ask myself. Did I do what I thought was right? And if the answer is yes, the second question is, did I do my best? And if the answer is yes, I take a deep breath and I let it go. Because one of the things we do as leaders is we load up this backpack with things that we've never actually sold. 
The other one I like here that it's that I often talk about meaning in life, right? And I had to determine what what does meaning mean. So I have one here is meaning are results of what I am doing matters to me and helps others. So you know what's 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 meaning? Um, I have here the will of the people, sound strategy, bold execution, um, the. Aspiration, ambition, and actions, three things that we, we think about. Simplify, reduce the formula, duplication, keep things simple. So I kind of, you know, uh, they are who they are is one of them up here that I have. Prove, show, hide, please. Um, pragmatic optimism, hit the shot in front of you. That's a story, I don't know if you've heard that told, but it's a beautiful story about a golfer who's out playing golf and uh, he's playing in a championship round and there's some sort of amateur golfers in front of him and he hits his ball up into the middle of the fairway. The amateur golfers in front do a, a bit of a mess up. They get up there and his ball's been moved and, you know, he's a little disrupted now. And what comes into his mind, I can't do anything about that. I've got to hit the ball in front of me. I've got to hit the ball in front of me, which is a great story. Yeah, no sound advice for sure. And, where we're going to go next. Those are all beautiful life principles, business principles. I think they're just holistic principles that you just shared. And it's, it sounds like a, I know you've applied many in, in your corporate setting, but also I know most importantly, you applied in the mirror and, and that's where I want to go next. So all playmakers have had the opportunity to go through the why assessment. So we understand there's nine whys. And so I'm going to give you, at least for in your case, and then I'll want to hear how it landed with you, but your why. And for all playmakers, if you have not taken it, go to whyinstitute.com slash purpose. Five minutes, we promise. It's not one of those five minutes that turns into 20, wink, wink. This truly is five minutes. Gary can attest to that. But here's where Gary landed. And then Gary, please hit us with your thoughts on how well, or maybe not, uh, this would describe you. So your why is make sense. People that make sense says you believe Success comes from making sense of the complex and challenging. You are the ultimate problem solver. You have an uncanny ability to take in lots of data and information and make it understandable. You consider factors, problems, and concepts, which you then organize into solutions. Lastly, you also have a gift for articulating a solution and summarizing it clearly. Talk to us, Gary. Is that you? Well, it's interesting when you think about it because when you asked me that question earlier about fear and, and you know, scared, I said, ask your playmakers to make sense of whether the, they're real or not. So I think that's, that's really, really quite true. And, and I, I do believe I have a knack of, remember I said I was consciously incompetent. I think some people camouflage issues with confusion to make out how smart they are. And I think I do have a way of simplifying things down to be able to say, this is really what the simple part of this is. The one thing that stuck out to me when I, I shared it with you in our little preamble, which I thought was really interesting, and you may be going to go to this, where it talks about what are my challenges. And it says, if you have this why, it is impossible for you to stop yourself from solving other people's problems. Absolutely correct. And in my coaching from Marshall Goldsmith, um, 
one of the the 12 bad 20 bad habits is called adding too much value and this was one of the ones that i identified so i have to be very careful and very deliberate and thoughtful that i'm not adding too much value to some type of situation that actually demotivates the people who are coming with their thoughts, their answers, and what they, what may be their solutions. I love that. Gary, were you always such a highly coachable person or have you grown in that area? Like at one point, if I was to go back 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, um, have you always been very open-minded, open-hearted and coachable, or have you evolved over the no, years? I've evolved. When I first did, when, you know, if you know the DISC profile at all, um, when I first started some of my leadership training, I, I did the DISC profile, and I was a Turbo D, uh, and a Turbo D's definition is be brief, be bright, be gone. Uh, but what I learned, <laughs> what I learned was as I, particularly as I got into more senior leadership roles, I, I didn't have all the answers. It's okay to say I don't know. And I think once I got comfortable that when I said I don't know what it did, it brought help and respect and not people thinking that I was stupid, then I got more comfortable with it. So three most important words, I don't know. And it's okay. Yeah, it's a, it, it's divorcing your ego, right? And I know the ego has, there there's a positive side, but a lot of it in the way we typically think of it is the negative side. And so, yes, people that have that side of the ego do not say there's no vulnerability there's never an admission of i don't know it's we always need to be the smartest person in the room so for playmakers i just think this is an authenticity check like how often are you saying the words i don't know by the way this also leads to one of the most sought after qualities of human beings which is listening gary when i ask what great leaders do and i workshop this and i put a bunch of responses on a whiteboard top 90 percent there's a single top five answer, nine out of 10 workshops I'll ever do, listening. Because my theory is it's so sought after and so rarely practiced. If it was always practiced, if we were filled with a world of empathetic listeners, it, my gut tells me it would not be in the top five 90% of the time, but it feels so special. And so a little bit of a tangent there, but I, it all connects. Let's go back to... So your why is to make sense. You also simplify what the world might see as complex. I'll tell you what I think of complex, or at least I used to, now I'm in your camp of simplifying it, is culture. So if I was to Google company culture, and I've done this before, and I click on images, and a bunch of different images come up. I'm sure you've seen this, Gary, the iceberg or the glacier. And it's got like 30 or 40 or 50 things and some are below the water and some are above the water. And you're telling me you want me to transform my culture as a leader. You lost me. I don't know what to do with 30, 40, 50 things. So for one, how have you learned to communicate and simplify culture and perhaps even how you define it. It'd be great to hear your thoughts. I touched on a little bit. When I was a young guy going to high school in Australia, my science teacher gave me a Petri dish. And the science teacher said, we're going to grow culture in this Petri dish. So what's important? Well, firstly, it's the ingredients you put in there. And I believe in company culture. What When you see that pyramid, what you're seeing there is is not is the is a 
image of what happens when you don't have the foundation of culture. You see all these things underneath. So what do you want to put in there? You want to put in some of the things that do you have a clear set of defining values in the organization? Are you, do you have leadership expectations that you will live up to? Is there a clear purpose? You know, are you a coach? You know, do you engage leading? There's a few things. So let's put all those in the Petri dish. Then what do you do? Leaders have to watch that Petri dish every day. So my, my algorithm, which I adapted from some of Simon Sinek's work, is culture equals parentheses values plus behavior, close parentheses, times consistency. So once you've got the, the, the Petri dish with the ingredients in it, the behavior of the leadership is the thing that will either prolong and enrich that culture or send it sour really quickly. So the leadership behavior is the leader has to love these people enough and care enough and be brave enough, not only to reward them and applaud them for doing great work, which is fertilizing the good ingredients, but also to be brave enough to redirect them and coach them when the behaviors are polluting the ingredients. And they have to do it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Hmm. Well, it's so good to hear your uh, simplified explanation and even equation, if you call it that, for for a culture. And actually, and Gary, I don't know if I'm giving you a shout out or if I'm giving Simon Sinek a shout out. I'll just give both of you a shout out because I'll give you some credit here. So going back to The Power of Playing Offense, my first book, uh, which, by the way, WD-40, we shine a bright light. I think y'all are the uh, just champions of culture. Truly, you've cracked the code in many, many ways. So shout out to you. And I know you wouldn't want me to say that. Shout out to your entire tribe. The entire WD-40 tribe is really the shout out. But what you made me realize through your equation is I wasn't factoring in consistency, because I used to say culture equals how you show up and I defined how you show up actions, behaviors, and decisions. And so now when I explain it to groups, I say culture is how you show up times consistency. So that's just an awesome, awesome way. Because again, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, I'm a truthful person or honesty is our integrity is our core value. Well, if eight out of 10 things you said were true, are you, is that really an honest person? But, oh, no, but I did 80%. No, this is kind of an all I or nothing agree with you both. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. How does this land with you, Gary? Uh, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe, let's have a little debate here. I don't know which side of the fence we'll fall on. One, there's some people that think all culture is top down. Others I've heard called it bottom up. And some feel it's a little bit more of a hybrid approach. What are your thoughts? It's a both end. Absolutely both and you know, I think you have to you have to plant the tree. Someone has got to plant the tree. Right? So let's say we're you know, and that's the tree of culture or the petri dish of culture. And then someone has to continue to, you know, uh, treat the tree, nourish the tree, and that happens all the way down. So, you know, what you don't want is is you, you, you've got to be a believer that it's important, but it's it runs through the whole organization. And we do that in our organization. You know, people now talk about our culture, like 98% of people say they love to tell people they work at our company. And 97% say they believe their values align with our values. So it means that it's it's running right through the organization, which is so important. 
Someone has to be con- – in the beginning when we were – when I got to lead the company, the culture wasn't bad, but it just wasn't what we needed it to be to grow to the future. So I had to prime the pump a little bit, but then as people got into it, the tribe owns the culture. I planted the seed. They grew the tree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you with the yes and. And my, my mindset has shifted and evolved over the years. I, I definitely – call it a decade ago, was all in on the top down thing. And um, boy, was I wrong. I, in your words, I did not know. And I, I'm brave enough to admit that now. But here's what I say. And this applies to C-suite as well as front lines. I say all culture is local. And here's what I mean by that. So I did consulting for a top three airline in the US. They have 120,000 employees, did training with their 6,000 positional leaders. And people always ask me, so what's the culture of that airline? The folks that know that I work with them. And I said, well, I can't answer that yet. Who's the leader? What department? What location? What floor of the building? That's the culture. Because when I go in, high five, on floor five, floor six, watch out, boss is around the corner. And Gary, it's not only the same company. It's the same department. So there's infinite microclimates. There's weather systems within each culture. So my challenge to everybody listening in is when you walk in the room, are you warming it up or are you cooling it off? And you're, are you aware of your own temperature? It proves the point that if each person took ownership and accountability of warming up the room that they walk into, that's how you can empower a mindset that all culture is local. I think you told the story at the summit, didn't you, about the cafeteria and the takeaway boxes? I love that story. Yes. And there's a, a, an, you know, an absolute small act that a leader took that could absolutely throw toxins into the culture. And it was so, so I, I'm sure you've told, told it before, but it, it's a great story. Yeah. And for all playmakers, he's referring back to when I was at the Niners, I'll, I'll share it in longer form at a different place. But um, because people spoke truth to power, the organization had the courage to host listening sessions. It, it surfaced that there was a toxin that was under the surface of you would have thought it was the smallest thing. But when the organization listened and made this one small change, which in this case was bringing a to go lunchbox back, which allowed the people running from meeting to meeting to meeting to get one of those benefits that really mattered to them. They felt heard. They felt valued. They felt seen. And it was way bigger than a lunchbox. And my belief is there's a lunchbox inside of your team and organization. The question is, are you aware of it? And that's, that's really the, the gist. So Gary, as we come down the home stretch here, a few other ones for you. WD-40 has been an amazing ride. How many years has it been, Gary? Uh, 35 years as a tribe member, 25 years as the CEO. So 35 total, which is amazing. Now, you're headed into an exciting new chapter. So rather than me spilling the beans and just kind of giving the details, would love for you to say, um, A, when is this uh, change happening? And B, what are you going to be doing? Well, thank you. Yeah, I I've really say that I've now completed my 25-year apprenticeship in leadership, and it's about time I put it to work. So at the end of August, uh, I'm going to step down as CEO. <laughs> my succession plan has been in place for eight years. 
We have a great leader that's going to lead us into the future. Um, and I'm going to go into my next stage of life, which is really talking around more of how do we build great cultures in organizations? Because I believe we have an opportunity to do that. So I'm going to be, I have a, a consulting business called The Learning Moment, and I do coaching around culture. So I'm the coach, culture coach, as Marshall Goldsmith uh, anointed me. Um, but it, but it's, it's, it's really about sharing <laughs> what we're sharing today with people who really believe culture is a, can be a competitive advantage and we can positively impact people's lives in a happy way. It's, uh, you know, after 25 years as the CEO, it's not about money. I mean, I got enough for, for a couple of beers in the fridge for a long time, but it's really about, um, you know, I can call BS when people say culture doesn't drive great businesses and create great opportunities for people because I can prove we've done it over the last 25 years. So, and we've done it globally. You know, we operate, we have offices in 17 countries around the world. We sell in 176 countries across every culture there is. And we've been able to establish that. And it, it's simple, Paul, it's not easy. And time is not your friend. So I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to doing that and uh, a few other things. I'm on the board of a couple of companies and whatever. But my real passion is how do we help leaders send people home happy? Because life is a gift. Don't send it back unwrapped. We've got a lot of unwrapping to do. Ah, uh, so well said. So for all playmakers, Gary, let, let's talk to our whole community now, whether it's the learning moments, whether it's uh, you personally, where can we find you? Where can we follow you, please? And we'll put all this in the show notes as well. But we'd love to just join you for your journey going forward. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so please, Gary Ridge at LinkedIn, follow me there. I, I write articles. I publish them on there and uh, you can catch me there. I have a, a website, www.thelearningmoment.net. Uh, and that's being refreshed right now and talks about some of the coaching and other work that I do. So those are probably the best two places to find me. Mm, love it. Final question here. And to tee it up, Gary, how many tribe members does WD40 have? Can you give me a ballpark? Uh, 600 plus. 600 plus. So if you were to think about I'm about to ask you to share the the starfish story as we cut out of here. But, you know, for playmakers, a lot of today's conversation, we started primarily at the individual level and we're talking to you personally, professionally. It's not just a success game. More importantly, it's a significance game and it's a service game. It's a contribution game. It's an impact game. It's a purpose game. That's why we're here. And then Gary shifted and we talked a lot about at the team level, at the organizational level, culture. And it doesn't need to be this big thing. It can really get down to how we show up each day, those behaviors, those values, and the consistency that we do that with. And in case you're feeling out there right now, playmakers like, oh, but I'm just one person. I, I think there's a different mindset that we can attack each day with and enter each day with. And Gary's about to close us out with a story of a starfish. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's an old story. There's a guy walking along the beach and there's hundreds of starfish on the beach and he's picking up a starfish and he's throwing it into the ocean and he picks up another one and he throws it in the ocean and someone walks up behind him and says, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm saving the starfish. They said, are you crazy? There's hundreds of thousands of starfish here. It doesn't matter. And he picked up a starfish and he threw it into the ocean. He says, 
it matters to that one. So it's one starfish at a time. One starfish at a time. And Gary, just like there's 600 tribe members, if you could positively impact one a day, what an amazing life to live. And that's my challenge for all playmakers out there. One starfish, one person, one place at a time. That's how we put a dent in the world. With that, Gary, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for being on Playmakers. My, my delight. Thank you so much. Another episode in the books. You know the drill. If it added value to your life, subscribe, share, leave a review, and help grow our Playmaker community. For keynote speaking and why coaching, visit paulepsteinspeaks.com. And last call, if you haven't already, take your why discovery now. Pull out your phones and text the word why to 310-564-7857. Again, text the word why to 310-564-7857. Playmakers is proudly produced by Detroit Podcast Studios. Until the next time, dominate the day on purpose.